Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host for the podcast, and it is the fifth Sunday of Epiphany in 2021, the 15 years after the pandemic started, or 10 months. It feels like it's been forever. Um, I'm weary of it, let's say. I'm weary of talking about it. I'm weary of hearing about it, but it's interesting. I've heard more people lately talk to me about they've had COVID or whatever than certainly it starting in November, I started hearing a lot more people who had had it. And so I spoke with several people this weekend, in fact, who had, have had COVID. It's been an interesting week or so. I've caught up with a bunch of people that I haven't talked to in quite a while. Some of them in 40 years, um, but then other people too. People, there's like, there's little phases of my life. It feels like there are people from this phase when I was doing this and this phase when I was doing this. And it's been odd to kind of reconnect with some of those folks. And it's been a, a wonderful thing in every way. Um, it, it's been busy week, too. I've had a lot of things that I felt like that needed to be done. feels like I'm being moved more into ministry than I have for quite some time um, because I've taken time off. It's interesting. It has connects some with actually with the um, the lessons today and, and kind of the the point of the Old Testament lesson uh, as well as the psalm. To be honest with you, and so I'm going to go ahead and tell some of that now, and so you can see kind of where I'm coming from on that. So it's been about five years ago. I did a funeral today. A couple of people that I love very much. Um, one of mother died and happened to be buried in Asheville. And so they came up. We had a wonderful time uh, yesterday visiting with them. And then today, the first time as, we, as I got ready to um, do the funeral, I started to put on my vestments. It, it, it's been a while since I put those vestments on, and it, it felt odd putting them on and then comfortable once I, I began doing the service. And it was... It was an interesting feeling to to kind of go through that, especially after the things that have been going on for the last couple of weeks, as far as ministry is concerned. So it it was a it's not a call in my mind back to sort of any kind of Anglican parish ministry. I don't feel that, but but what it does do is kind of put me in an odd place of of thinking again about my decision to step down five years ago and to, to step away from parish ministry as I told somebody at the funeral today I, 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 I was tired of people frankly just tired of people and his response was oh my gosh you'd never know that based on the funeral today it, it looked to me like exactly the opposite of that is true and I told him I said it is actually that's the thing is that I really do love people but leading a parish is quite different from loving people it it's, requires a different um, set of skills and and desires, frankly, and I don't have any desire to do that. It, uh, it's not really the best thing in the world for me because it, it sets odds with the people in the church because they're inevitably going to dislike something or some things that you do. And there's a defensiveness that comes in in a way that if you're just loving people and ministering people, if you keep it as simple as that, then, then it's much different. It's very much different. And so I, I just I realized that, that what I was really tired of at that time was, was dealing with people in that specific way, in the way that dealt with leading them. 
and then um, conflicts that they had with other staff or other people in the church. Um, and there were constantly those kinds of issues going on, it felt like. And, and so sort of um, dealing with those issues was just too much for me, to be honest with you. It was just I, I, I don't enjoy managing that conflict and especially managing other people's conflicts with one another. And, and it was just best for me to do that. But I've always had a question about whether it was the right thing to do. And the, the, the Lord provided for me in a unique way at the end of that when I made the announcement. I had several people come to me and say, John, can we just come to your house and keep it simple and do Sunday morning and Wednesday night? And I, I said, yeah, sure. Even though I really didn't want to, to be perfectly honest about it. I didn't want to at that time. But there were people who wanted to continue to do that and to continue to gather in a simple way and have me teach. And we would do com uh, communion on Sunday mornings. And it, it was a blessed time, and I really did enjoy it. Um, but but I didn't want to say yes to that. But then it just felt like the Lord was saying, John, I don't want you to get completely out. And so I continued to preach and teach and do all those kinds of things. But there's always been a nagging part of me that, that just sort of says, was that the right thing to do? And I do believe that it was. I'm going to be honest. I do believe that it was. But, but there's a part of me that, that still says, was the decision to basically stop and not, you know, try and shift into something else and, or in another capacity within another church or something like that? Was, would that not have been a better thing? But the reality was I was tired. I was worn out, and I didn't think I had anything left to give. And so that's certainly a struggle. And so it's been interesting, like I said, the last few weeks, the people God's put back in my life from the past and, and the opportunities I've had to minister to a variety of people over the last little bit. It, it's encouraging. Um, one of the things that, that has invigorated me in some strange ways um, and kept my head in that, that game as well, the pastoral thing, has been answering the phone for Amazon of all things because I get to have these uh, unusual conversations with people. I get opportunities to pray with people and to share the gospel with them and to encourage them. And during COVID, there's been so much of that, it's been unbelievable. I've spoken to uh, any number of people for long periods of time. I mean, over an hour, complete strangers, and uh, been able to kind of brighten their day just because they haven't been getting out and they haven't been seeing anybody. And so to have somebody engage with them and ask them their stories has been a big thing. And I want to encourage you to, to do the same to be available to people and to, to reach out to people that you might not otherwise reach out to. People that maybe you've disconnected with for some period of time. Just take the risk. Take the chance. And, and so what I'm going to tell you has to do with the, the Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah 40, 21 to 31. And it has a very familiar uh, ending to it, and that is even youths shall not shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with e wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint and so i, I think what i needed at some point was somebody to come alongside me and say john here's a promise of god let me pray this over you because it looks like you have grown weary it looks like that you, you have grown faint and exhausted. And so I, I really needed somebody to come alongside 
at that point and, and help me with that because I was, I was depressed and I was exhausted. I didn't have anything really to give. And it, it's, it's a dangerous place to be when you get in that place. And, and so it's the place that Elijah got to, actually, when after he defeated the prophets of Baal, and then, it, so that's, that's the ultimate high, right? I mean, you call down fire from heaven, um, and, and it happens over against the prophets of Baal. And the people of Israel see the mistake in going after Jezebel's God. And then immediately Jezebel threatens to kill Elijah, and Elijah just hits rock bottom. Two seconds after he's had the greatest high of his career, he has prophesied all these things that have happened. He's, he's lived this incredible life with the Lord. He's seen the Lord do miraculous things over and over again. And then here he comes and does this amazing thing and sees God act in a mighty way. And then this woman, who happens to be the queen, I'll give him that, um, threatens him, and Elijah can't take it. And so he tells his servant to stay where he is, and then he goes on and goes into the wilderness, and his complaint is, I'm alone. There's nobody but me, and I can't take that anymore. And I know that feeling. <clears throat> but, and that's when you get incredibly weary, is when you feel you're alone. When you feel like you're alone in ministry, when you feel like you're alone in, in standing against lies, um, the, theological lies, um, de destructive lies that keep people out of the kingdom of God because they don't move them in the direction of believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. The, the, the other lies that come in with the liberal theological agenda in the church and so when you feel like you're alone in that and then your best friends uh, say oh I gotta go do this or I gotta go do that and they leave you and you feel alone and you just want to do what Elijah did I'm gonna go in the wilderness I'm gonna be alone I just want to be by myself I, I can't take this anymore and so the promise of God though is this um, is something very different that I just read to you there that you will run and not become weary and walk and not grow faint it's but, but you can't do it alone. And Elisha knew that, and so he formed a school and a company of prophets with him. And when Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them out two by two because it's not good for man to be alone, right? I mean, we know that right from the beginning. And so it's important that we, that we recognize that our strength comes from him, but sometimes even as priests, pastors, whatever we are, we have to be gospeled as well. We need somebody to come alongside us and gospel us and tell us this, but not just speak those words, but to offer to come alongside and, and be there. Because just throwing a prophetic word like that at somebody is not helpful, to be honest with you. And so we've got to be, be able to say, what can I do as well? How can I take some of this burden off of you? Um, because the, the thing is, we need to stick in our lanes primarily. We need to understand what it is we're good at, and we need to stay in that lane and that's where we get to the place where we're not growing weary of doing good and doing those things so it's important for us to remember that but it's important for us to persevere you know i like i said i would have just stepped away and, and probably just gone to church somewhere and sat in a church but the lord brought these people along that said hey john can we do this and so i i kept my head in the game simply because i didn't have any choice but to do that but I, but i've been able to rest 
And so now I'm feeling reinvigorated to do uh, more podcasting, actually. Um, and I've got somebody who's come along beside me with that and said, hey, you know, what's it going to take to be able to, to, to get you the freedom to be able to do the study in the podcast? And so, uh, and said, oh, by the way, I've done some grant writing. So it, that, that's wonderful to have people like that come alongside. And so we're, we're trying to, to walk through that. And, and we have to constantly be pushed back to the Lord and to, to His strength. And we have to remember, the way that Job had to remember sometimes, that we get into a place where we're worn out and we need to be reminded of something, and that is that, that He never grows weary and never grows faint. And He's the one who, who created all things from the beginning. And, and so in the rest of that Isaiah passage, that's the question that Isaiah is asking His people, and that's, don't you know, don't you hear? Hasn't it been told to you from the beginning? Haven't you understood from the foundations of the earth? It's he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out like the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. What he's saying is, don't be afraid of these people. They were created by God. They, they are subject to him. He rules over them in every single way. Don't worry about them. They're like grass. And he says, to whom will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not, grow, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. And so, so what the people are saying is we're so tired. And we feel so overwhelmed in the same way the people did when they sent the spies out into the land and they came back and said, we're nothing in their eyes. In fact, here we see some of that very same language. You hear that? It's he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. And that's how the people saw themselves when the spies went in and saw these giants in the land and we're like grasshoppers in their sight and so what Isaiah is pointing these people to is it doesn't matter how you see these others and how you see yourselves in light of that look to the Lord fix your eyes on him and then you'll gain your strength because you know it's not your strength that matters here and the psalm is Psalm 147 it's first 12 verses and it's all about how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant it is to honor Him with praise. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their womb. He counts the numbers of the stars and calls them all by their names. Get a stargazing app sometime. No human being could call all by their name. It's impossible. The stars are, are countless. I do believe that this is not hyperbole, and it's, it's real kind of language, because God's that 
wisdom and his knowledge and his power and he, he is omniscient. He does know all these things. And then goes on to say, great is our Lord and mighty in power. There's no limit to his wisdom. And then goes on to, to see the things that God does. And then finally comes to, he's not impressed by the might of a horse. He has no pleasure in the strength of a man. And this is the important part. But the Lord has pleasure in those who fear him, in those who await his gracious favor. And remember what you saw in that Isaiah passage. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. The Lord has pleasure in those who fear him and those who await his gracious favor. Sometimes it's easy for us to grow weary with waiting. Have you ever had to wait on anything a long time? Have you ever had to wait on anything as long as Abraham had to wait for the fulfillment of the promise of a son to carry on the name? Abraham got faint. Abraham failed. When his wife suggested, hey, did God say that I would be the mother of this child or just that you would be great? Maybe it's not me through whom this one's going to come. So here, sleep with my maid. And so he did. And that's how we ended up with Ishmael. And not waiting on the Lord but taking matters into your own hands because it doesn't ever say, oh, after that, Abraham said, hey, let's inquire of the Lord first. He just said, okay, sounds good to me. And so he and Hagar went in together and did what Sarah suggested that they do, gave him permission to do, in fact, told him to do. And then we ended up with Ishmael, and God said, no, no. It's not promise is not going to come through him. The nation is not going to come through him. Great nations and kings will come from him, but not my chosen nation. It's not that God rejected Ishmael. It's that he said that's not the way this is going to work. He he failed to wait. So did God then say well, I'm done with you. I'll start with somebody else. No, he didn't. He said, you're going to have to live with that, but you're also going to have to put that one away and send him away in order for the promise to come. And so he had to put the, that son away after Isaac was born, and they were celebrating, and then Sarah saw something in the way Ishmael was acting towards Isaac that caused her concern, and so she demanded that he put her away, put Ishmael away. And he didn't want to do that. So God had to tell him to do that. So, but, but this waiting, it's hard to wait a long time. It's hard not to take matters into your own hands. There's this, always this temptation to say, I got to do something to make this happen. And then to sort of put back onto that, God told me to do it. No. What waiting isn't just sitting and praying. There's more to it than that. When we're waiting for something, we're still to be prepared. When Jesus talked about the servants waiting for their master to come back in a parable, it was expected that those, par those uh, servants would have the house completely prepared and taken care of. When he got back, the master would find that house in spick and span order. 
when the master gave talents to his servants and said, manage these while I'm gone, he gave them something to do. We're given something to do. The church has been given something to do. In the time between when Jesus ascended and and the end, the church has a job. It has a role. We're to be about the work of building the kingdom, making disciples of all nations. So there's a job to do. Waiting is not simply sitting. But it's not taking matters into your own hands. It's trusting in Him. Believing that if He has promised, then He will do it. And too often what we do is we lay our hands to work that we haven't been given to do. And we busy ourselves about making God's thing happen. When in actuality, He gave us way more to do than that. He gave us specific things to do. And we need to be about the business of the kingdom more than we're about the business of the world, whatever the world's business might be. And we need to be about that rather than the business of making what God promised come to pass. You know, I, I'm bad to do that. I think most of us are bad to do that. We're not good at waiting. We, we want to believe that we can do something. But sometimes all we can do is pray and get about the business we've actually been given to do. And that's kind of the passage today from the gospel. What you see is Jesus goes, he's in Capernaum still. They just remember yet last week he was in the synagogue and he, he healed the man of the unclean spirit. Here he's still in Capernaum. It's just right after that. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately... <laughs> This is Mark, remember? So immediately he left the synagogue, and immediately they told him about her. Pretty sure life would have been fine if they had just said, and they told him she was ill with a fever. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. See that? She had a job. As soon as he healed her, she began to serve them because it was the work that she had been given to do. So she did the work she had been given to do, which was to serve them. Simon and Andrew and James and John and Jesus. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him, to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He didn't want the testimony of demons. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed all by himself. It's important for us to get alone with God. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. The word was out. There was a buzz. The disciples had to be excited about this because their, their beliefs were being validated by all these who were coming and the work that Jesus was doing. And so they're excited. Everybody's looking for you. I mean, something's up. And they said to him, let's go on to the next... No, Jesus said to them, sorry. Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's what I came out to do. And then he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You know, it, it, there's a huge temptation, right? You've got success. You stay right where you have the success and say, the Lord's blessing this. We'll stay here and do this. But no, that's the temptation. Jesus went out from that to a place by himself and he got alone with the Lord with God and said now I can say having been alone with him 
that that's just a temptation is to stay here. He says, why I came out was to preach in all of this place. Let's go out to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And then he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. No, it's very tempting to stay where the success is and to stay in that place, but God's always calling us further. It would have been easy for Abraham to just rest, right, for the rest of his life, rest on his laurels. Hey, I waited for God for 25 years, and at the end of 25 years, what happened was I had this child. God fulfilled his promise to me, and now this child is here, and therefore I've done all that I need to do. Well, and then like 32 years later, in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and take him up on the mountain that I'll show you and sacrifice him to me there. The first time I taught that passage, I was teaching through Genesis to a group of older men in the church here in Asheville when we first came, and we were you know, a long way into this. We are probably a year or more into Genesis at that time because we were there about three years. And so when I got to that passage, I came in and told him this. It really makes me mad. I said it a little more graphically than that. Um, and, and they, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, here's the thing. That, that guy, that old man, waited for God for 25 years. God didn't do what he said he was going to do for 25 years. And that man waited more or less patiently during all that period of time. He has done remarkable things during that period of time, though. He has gone and he has had to rescue his, grand, his nephew Lot, and he's, had to, to, he's built a family, built an enterprise pretty much, and become a wealthy man. And he has fought kings and done all this stuff while he waited for the fulfillment of that promise. But he did what God gave him to do each and every day. He didn't make up things to do. He just did what was in front of him to do. And then, now, shouldn't, shouldn't he be able to retire? Leave him alone. Why are you testing him now? Because that's what it starts with. God tested Abraham. Why are you testing that old man? Leave him alone. Let him rest. No, that's not God's plan for us. God's plan for us is to work, learn, and grow all the days of our life, all the way to the end, so that we may know Him and love Him more, and so that our lives might be more like His in this world. And so even with Jesus, it, there's work to do. You don't stop in that place and get settled and happy and say, everybody come to me. No, Jesus kept going to them. He kept on and on. But he can do that only because he's getting alone with the Father and he's hearing what to do. It would be incredibly tempting to stay right there and do that thing. I can remember, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, maybe more even now, um, there was a place in Florida where revival came, apparently. And I'm going to say that it did. I really believe it because there were great things that happened there. But, but over time, that revival kind of waned and the number of people stopped coming. And so after a period of years, they said, let's take this thing on the road. And so a friend from Pauly's Island um, said, hey, you want to go to Columbia when they're there? And so we got to Columbia and what we found out, the first thing we found out was, well, the venue, they had had to change the venue. And it was largely because a much smaller number of people had signed up to come to this thing than they expected. And so it was in this small venue and I hated it. I hated this thing because it was all about money and it was all about selling stuff. It, it felt like, 
the, what Jesus threw the money changers out for is exactly what that thing was. When you came into the space, you couldn't get to a seat. You couldn't get into the space without sort of making your way through market stalls of, of CDs and whatever else they were selling, paraphernalia. And, and the first speaker was the evangelist, and he wanted to sell me a print of the Founding Fathers at Prayer, and then it went on and on and on. And then, I mean, every single person who spoke did a, you know, they, did a spiel, and they got to the end of the day, and they were going to have some healing time for prayer. And they said, we've canceled that, so you can go out and um, put flyers on people's car windows, telling them about the big service that's going to be tonight. Holy cow. The Lord had stopped blessing that thing a long time ago, and there's a reason he had stopped blessing it. It was because it became about something other than him. It became about money. You know, it's harder to see it when it's you, but wow, it was unbelievable. But they weren't waiting any longer for the Spirit. They were trying to gin something up and make it happen, so they took this thing on the road. No, waiting means doing the work God gave you to do. And continuing to do that work day after day after day, whatever that work is. And we've all been given something to do. I have a great friend who, who is the happiest, most outgoing and passionate evangelist that I know. She's not ordained. She's not, you know, blessed by the church and sent out and said, you're an evangelist, you're a prophet, you're whatever. No, she just does the work God gives her to do. She tells everybody she meets and everybody she knows about Jesus, and she does it with great joy. And it's a wonderful thing to behold. She's not just wanting to know what her gift is. She just uses it. And so I, I love it when people do it. But you can do anything that way. And, and everything, every gift and talent you have can be converted to the purpose of the kingdom. If you'll just ask God, look, here's what I've got. It may not even be much in your eyes, but it can be great in God's eyes. And so the point is just to give it to him and say, show me today how to use this gift for your kingdom. And that's what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 23. He begins by saying, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not my own will, here's the important part. I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Even if I don't want to do it, he says, if not of my own will even, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. God gave me these things to use. It's like this talents. They were entrusted with a stewardship over assets of their master to be used to increase that. And that's what Paul's saying. It's the same thing. Even if I don't want to do it, I still have a job to do. And somebody is going to hold me accountable for it. That's what a stewardship does. If you're given stewardship over something, then, then you have to give an accounting of what you did with it. And Paul says, look, I'm preaching because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I can't be so busy being about other things that I'm not doing the important thing. And it's easy to get into that place is to mix up the important thing with God's thing. It was God's task to bring Isaac into the world. 
in his time. Instead, what Abraham and Sarah did was they took matters into their own hands and decided it was their responsibility to do that. And they got sidetracked by doing that, and they created an enormous problem that persists in the world today. Nope, we got to let God do God's work, and we be about the work that we're doing. And, our, and the work of other stuff can't keep us from being about the kingdom work he's given us to do every single day. And then he says, what then is my reward, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? Because he says in other places that, that don't muzzle the ox. The one who, who brings you the gospel has the right to be paid for that. But he said, I don't want to do that. And so he continued to be about the work of tent making in order that he didn't have to charge anybody to preach it. And then he goes on to say, look, I'm, I'm free from all. I've made myself a servant from all that I might win more of them. If I, if I go to the Jews, I become like a Jew in order to win the Jews. If they're under the law, then I go as one under the law, though I'm not, that I might win those under the law. So those outside the law has become one like outside the law, not being outside the law, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I might I become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I do what I do for the sake of others, but mostly what I do what I do be for the sake of the kingdom is what Paul's saying. And, and if I do it for the sake of the kingdom, then I get to share in the blessings of the kingdom. What I'm telling you is, Look at, look at your time. Look at the way you spend your time. Look at the way you, you use your talents and ask yourself the legitimate question. And that is, is that, that could the talents that I now purpose for the world become repurposed for the sake of the kingdom? And because the reality is you'll get more joy out of it. Even if you love your job, even if you love the work that you do, you'll get more joy out of it if you allow the Lord to repurpose those things. For his kingdom. Maybe for you it's time to say, I've worked hard on this for 25 years like Abraham did. Maybe now I'll just wait on him for that. But Lord, I've still got life. I've still got time of service. How can I, how can I serve you? And that's a way of saying I trust you for everything else. I'm beginning to feel in my own life that the Lord's calling me back to some kind of service. I don't know what that is. I know what I hope it's not. <laughs> I, know, I hope it's not leading the parish again. I don't ever want to do that again as long as I live because I have no talent for it or gift for it. Um, I know what I can do, but God can do what he wants. But it's, I'm feeling time again to say, Lord, I'm ready. For whatever you want I'm ready to serve you in any way you want me to but I need to let go of a lot of other things in my life that I give too much time to and it's time to do that maybe it's time for you prayer for today is set us free O God from the bondage of our sins and give us we beseech thee the liberty of that abundant life which thou hast manifested to us in thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It's been a pleasure being with you this week. It's been a challenge for me because I've had to challenge, God's challenged me a lot this week in this stuff. So 
Uh, I look forward to being with you again next week. Take care, and may the Lord bless all that you do this week, and may he draw you ever closer to him and show you how you can serve him with the gifts and talents that he has given you as your creator.